0: Welcome back to Upstate Anecdotes. I am one of your hosts, Caroline Pruitt, here with the first episode of our new series, Unseen Greenville. Today, I'm going to be talking about the White Horse Corridor, a part of town not too far from campus. And like many communities in South Carolina, the White Horse Corridor was once a thriving mill town with a wealth of jobs for all of its residents. However, when America began outsourcing the textile industry overseas, the mills left and now the people and family who live on Whitehorse Road find work in service industries such as restaurants and stores. Whitehorse Road itself is a busy highway connecting many neighborhoods on the west side of town. It's home to a growing community, great food, and a high rate of poverty and a low opportunity index. Full disclosure, before recording this episode, I had never even seen Whitehorse Road. I had, however, heard of it. I actually attended a lecture on poverty in Greenville earlier in the year, where Dr. Sally Morris Cody gave me the idea for this podcast. She said that one of the most important things any of us as students could do to help the areas in Greenville affected by poverty is to visit them, to drive up and down Whitehorse Road and get to know all of our city. And so in this episode, I do just that. But first, I decided to get a feel for how Furman students already view Greenville, and the answers were pretty similar. I'm talking to Ella Grogan, freshman communications major on my hall, about what she knows about poverty. We're in my dorm room, so the audio is a little messy. What do you know about poverty in Greenville? I mean, you can see it on points at Highway. Like, there's definitely a lot of poverty in Greenville, I think it's interesting how like you go from Furman and then you drive through points at highway and then you're in downtown Greenville and everything's normal again. But that whole stretch there definitely needs to be some changes made there. And here are some other freshmen, Will and Mara, talking about their own perception of Greenville. What are three words you'd use to describe Greenville? Uh, Dynamic, growing and beautiful. Greenville is lively, beautiful, and welcoming. I actually don't know a lot about poverty in Greenville. So the answers were pretty similar. Greenville is beautiful, poverty is here, and it's terrible, but we don't encounter it often. Someone once told me that it's really easy to live in Greenville without ever seeing it. I wanted to talk to someone who might have a better understanding of the poverty in Greenville, specifically in the White Horse Corridor. So I decided to talk to Tony McDade former executive of United Ministries and overall wonderful person. Thank you so much for agreeing to interview with me. I really appreciate it.
1: Looking forward to it. Thanks for the opportunity.
0: So how long have you lived in Greenville?
1: Uh, My family moved back to Greenville in 2003 when I became the executive director of a shelter for homeless families that includes children. It was called GAIN. Our Greenville area interfaith hospitality network and so I was the director of that working in an interfaith context providing shelter and other services for homeless families mainly keeping them together and uh, helping them find their way out of homelessness if at all possible uh, and we did that for uh, all the years that we we're here located on the west side of town not that far from the Whitehorse Corridor And um, in 2016, we merged that into United Ministries. we had a long partnership with United Ministries anyway, which offers wraparound services for people who are in crisis, who have emergency needs for food and uh, medical bills and uh, power bills and so forth, but also opportunities to move forward, such as getting a GED, getting uh, not just a job, but getting on a career path, and finding affordable housing. So uh, we have enjoyed being back here in Greenville. In in all truth, though, we've, we're from the upstate originally. I uh, graduated from Furman in 1979, went on to seminary and um, served congregations in North and South Carolina, including First Baptist Clemson, um, before we found our way back home, which Greenville is home.
0: So, why do you think you've stayed here so long? What makes Greenville home for you?
1: Well, on my wife's side, we have um, a, a good deal of family uh, who are here. Her grandfather was pastor of Pendleton Street Baptist Church for a number of years, so she has some deep roots here. We uh, enjoy this as a place where our family can feel at home and thrive. It's a great place, especially in the last now almost 20 years, it's a great place to raise children, and in our case, grandchildren. Um, we've stayed because and the Furman connection. We enjoy being close to, uh, to Furman and taking advantage of the um, opportunities that it provides, culturally and otherwise. Um, and Greenville has just, in our time here, has really um, become a cool place, I guess you could say. You know, folks are moving here from all over the country. Yeah. Not to mention, I mentioned I have a granddaughter who's here. So. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so I've talked to a lot of my friends, and they know that there is poverty in Greenville, but a lot of them don't know much about it. Could you speak to some of the poverty in Greenville, specifically in the White Hills Corridor?
1: Greenville is uh, an anomaly in so many ways. There, It's just such a place of contrast. We have Mm-hmm. Extraordinary growth and uh an opportunity here, economic opportunity and otherwise. And then in some cases, literally across the street from million dollar neighborhoods, there will be um folks living outside, you know, our homeless right. friends and so forth. So I always say that this is a place of contrast. Unfortunately, you know, the Chamber of Commerce approach to Greenville is that It's just a wonderful place to be. And the new thing is, you know, from here, you can change the world. And I I do think that's true, you know, especially in our technological age. Mm -hmm. But uh, there are folks who have lived here all of their lives and over generations who have not experienced, who hadn't had the blessings of that kind of economic opportunity. And as y'all are, y'all are spot on recognizing that there's some significant historical uh, reasons for that, especially in the Whitehorse Road area. Um, there are pockets of poverty throughout Greenville, but they seem to be concentrated toward the western side of town, to some degree the southern side of town, but along the White Horse Road corridor, which is actually the remnant of the textile arc, <clears throat> excuse me, arc, which uh, really, cotton mills, And then textile mills that that, uh, came thereafter, moved in in the 1890s, 1880s, 1890s, a little bit before that, but uh, set up shop all along what is now the western arc of Greenville County, literally from Slater in the north all the way to Fountain Inn in the south, if you stay in Greenville County. And so historically, those mill villages, which were built around the mill itself, which is what, that was the major employer of pretty much everyone in these self-contained communities. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'm familiar with this. My hometown is a mill town. My parents, grandparents all worked in the mill until my dad got out and went to college. So uh, this transformation isn't all that long ago. The good part of that was there was a genuine sense of community. Uh The downside of it is you are also trapped in those communities. You got paid by the mill using mill script. You bought all the everything you needed from the mill store. They owned the houses. They employed the ministers and everybody else. So there wasn't uh, there's there was not a lot of uh, there was not any real independence. And so with that dependency and that kind of paternalism in the lives of these folks, when the when the textile industry began to fade in the 70s and was gone from here by the late 80s, that left these pockets, these communities all along, especially in the western side of town, destitute. The, the major employer had gone and people, you know, that was their career. That's folks, whether they graduated from high school or not, they always knew they could get a job in the mill. And right. so once the textile mills were gone, then um, in a roughly about the same time, Greenville began to have other manufacturers move in like Michelin and BMW. But keep in mind, that's high tech manufacturing and people need extraordinary skills. And very few people who were in those communities had that kind of skill. And then finally, you add into that the deteriorating quality of housing, the schools had become neglected over time, even as racial integration uh, took place. And I think it and then there was an isolation because there was no available public transportation. So there is there is a vortex, so to speak, uh, between the availability for people to be mobile. If you don't have access to, to being mobile, and, uh, you become trapped in your community and that community is insulated to some degree. It becomes racially segregated, certainly socioeconomically segregated. Um, and that, that's really what happened. Once the mills closed, the neighborhoods fell apart. And, um, that also that coincided with desegregation in the schools and what's called white flight that when Greenville uh, experienced suburbanization, people moved east. And what I mean by that is white people moved east. Very segregated in a number of ways, both racially and socioeconomically and culturally. If you're feeling like you are trapped in a situation, then that's going to affect your worldview. If you feel like um, you're in a a part of town that has every opportunity before you and everybody else looks like you and thinks like you, then you're going to feel like that's, that's home. You're going to feel certainly better about that. Fortunately for Greenville that has begun to crack up some, but uh, our neighborhoods on the, on the West side are still struggling. Mm -hmm. It's the, it's the impact of the, the history of, um, Of the textile mills coming in, Greenville, you know, was the textile capital of the world in its day. And that day was the 1960s and 70s, early 70s. By the 90s, that all those industries were in Honduras and Taiwan and China and other places. Mm -hmm. And it just left a lot of folks here uh, abandoned. And, you know, this is not to say that, you know, most of the the mill communities were were still segregated racial. Uh, So, you know, you had certain sections that were that tended to be um specifically for poor white folks or for black folks. There was always that sense of stratification. There's a sort of a cultural complex, if you ask me, that's a result of these historical forces that uh you can't say it's just exclusively racial or it's exclusively socioeconomic. Are exclusively geographic, just because these outfits are, are located on the West. And then, I guess over the last 30 years, a noticeable uh, change has been the influx of Hispanic families in the northern part of, uh, of Whitehorse Road. And you can see the evidence of that uh, going up and down, that, uh, that it was assumed that, that um, if you lived in the Berea area, and extending over to Whitehorse Road, that you probably spoke Spanish. And that's unfair characteriza- characterization. But uh, I, it hasn't been that long ago when that was the assumption. Right. If you were going to do business there and work. Did you find that in your talking to people yeah. out there?
0: You can see like the signs, the road signs change from like English to Spanish yes. as you get farther down.
1: And what are the grocery stores and the restaurants and um and the businesses that are there, a lot of car dealerships. Mm-hmm. Um another thing that, you know, it becomes predatory, and that is the um <clears throat> the way money works. You know, the city limits did not always extend out that far. So you some of those communities that had been sort of self-sufficient found themselves not in the city limits of Greenville and thus benefiting from city services, but in Greenville County, which, uh, forgive me, but has not been noted for having exemplary uh, services, infrastructure into those communities. um, But I mentioned predatory lending. The last thing is you drive up and down Whitehorse Road, you can't go hardly any distance without seeing a payday loan lender um, or a title loan outfit. Right. And there is, we'll come back to that, but that that kind of um, predation on people who are already struggling, and then you get into a kind of a, um, maelstrom that you can never get out financially. It's just, it sucks you in so that people find that they are perpetually in poverty, Because of what's around them, they don't have access to other services. And then that poverty becomes multi-generational. White flight went east. Other folks, ethnically and racially, when they have moved out, they're going west. And to some degree, uh, northwest and southwest, but west nevertheless. Mm -hmm. And um, what really matters is what we can do about these situations while maintaining uh, the integrity and agency that people have. One of the things that I have admired about what you have picked up on already, uh, which is a great insight for our freshman, is that the lived experience of people really matters. There is wisdom. There is knowledge in every one of these neighborhoods about how they work. And if you could figure out how to maximize that, That would be the number one resource toward helping improve the quality of the neighborhood. I mean, you know, they need better infrastructure. They need banks and they need grocery stores and business, small businesses and so forth. But um, having a way for people to be self-determining, to have their own voice in their future uh There's no substitute for that and effective social development, I think.
0: Mm -hmm. So kind of transitioning into what you were talking about, what do you think is the most important thing the government can do? And then specifically, we as citizens of Greenville can (laughs) help these areas in poverty.
1: Well, you know, I always refer to Greenville, and this would include the White Horse Road corridor, whether it's in the city or not. Greenville is a very big, small town, and we oh. haven't gotten to the point that people don't know each other, don't bump into each other at a party, mm-hmm. and that includes with our elected officials, so that um, emails and phone calls and conversations about what is important to someone shared with an elected official that carries a lot of weight. And, uh, you know, if you say to somebody who gets on a ballot every four years that I vote and this matters to me, whether it's affordable housing, whether it's extending our public transportation situations, whether it's getting more money to Greenville tech for mm-hmm. young people to have access to high tech training. We can still have an impact with our elected officials, but it takes investment. Uh, I mentioned to you Ken Cobb at Furman. One of the the key points of his new book that's coming out about food deserts is that community investment will make a difference, so that these communities can survive uh, and and serve the people uh, who live there. Uh, and then finally, something that's very pragmatic and uh, that i touched on earlier and that is uh payday lending
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so forth you know that if we if, if in my estimation the best way to crack up some of the uh perpetual cycles of poverty that people find themselves trapped in would be to change the law and uh, there's an effort to do this right now to max out the amount of um interest that can be charged on a payday loan or a uh title loan at 36%. Right now in our state, technically there is no limit. Having um last thing that I would say is uh you know it doesn't matter if you're liberal, conservative, moderate or whatever, you believe in opportunity. People want to see other folks themselves and other people have a chance to move forward, right? Right. having opportunity with equity so that everybody can move forward. It doesn't matter, as John Conklin says, it shouldn't matter what your zip code is. That shouldn't determine your quality of life. Greenville has there are two Greenvilles, as somebody has said. Part that you see in all the brochures, then there are other sections that exist, and you've seen them in places on White Horse Road. There are plenty of others. And the question is, are we gonna be two Greenville's or one green? I vote for one, but that means we've got some work to do.
0: Thank you so much for that. So this is a question I ask almost everyone. Um, if you could describe Greenville in three words, what would they be?
1: Uh, well, home, to go back to what you just said, and since that's a personal uh, situation, Another thing that we talked about is contrast. That right. uh, you know, there is a Greenville that is thriving and hitting on all circuits and, and we believe in that, but there is another dimension of Greenville that is in prox- close proximity that is not enjoying the fruits of all that. So um Greenville is a place of contrast, uh complex contrast is um is is true, and I think the third word is um, it fits with the Advent theme right now, but is the word of hope. Um, not everybody agrees with me on this, but I happen to believe that Greenville is well resourced in a variety of ways to bring to bear solutions mm-hmm. to cr- uh, critical social issues. One of which is what seemingly intractable poverty concentrated in certain neighborhoods just like what you're exploring for whatever reason I think the good lord has blessed Greenville with financial resources with some brain power but also Greenville has a heart Mm -hmm. Uh, and I and I have seen this there there's a a sense that you know everybody wants to make a a dime and you got to do that in your business But people care about other people in our community, and I hope we never get to the point where we're so big, even as we pass the half a million mark here, that folks don't sense that uh, community matters. So um, the large word that I like is community. The the good news is if we would uh, collaborate, and Greenville has a, a history of collaboration, we might not solve some of these problems, access to these kind of resources for people who are suffering but we could move move things in a better direction Uh, i've seen some indication of that i'm a little concerned that there might be some retrenching right now for a number of reasons but uh overall the we have we have at least the possibility of making things better for more people and uh with that opportunity comes responsibility.
0: Well, thank you. You
1: have, you have to be careful because, you know, my background is I'm a, I'm a minister by nature, so I get to be <laughs> a little preachy pretty fast. So, <laughs> What I'd love to do, though, is, you know, invite folks as they listen to the podcast and so forth is mm-hmm. uh, we still offer community tours. They used to be called poverty tours, which I don't like because it's sort of like voyeurism in some degree. But a community tour says, let's look at Greenville, not only for the challenges that it has, but also for the opportunities. And who's doing creative work? You know, who are the mill community ministries and the homes of hope who Mm -hmm. are not living in despair, but who are working in these challenged communities of West Greenville and all the mill communities to build housing, to build families? And did I mention hope? That's that they're in the hope business um, and doing so with creative creativity and some innovation um, because they care about this community. So and I will say in conclusion, Furman students like such as yourself, you know, mm-hmm. who come in with fresh perspectives, see Greenville, um, you know, there's some glitz and dazzle here. Uh, we have what somebody used to call sizzle factor, but um <laughs> you know we also have some areas that aren't sizzling so well and we can't live we can't just ignore that right
0: i really liked what he said at the end there about community tours it's kind of like what i'm doing with you guys taking you on a tour of greenville so i hope you'll join me for my next episode when i take a trip down whitehorse road and learn more about the greenville we don't always see this is upstate anecdotes and i'll talk to you later